Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God glad today. Glad that you're here. Welcome. If you're a guest this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Um, I, I'm really excited to continue on in our series. Um, but I'll, I'll, here's something that I've wondered about, and maybe you've wondered this. I'm not pointing fingers at you, uh, but I think this is a universal thing. This is not just a Christian thing or a non-Christian thing. But I think this, this is a question that, or, or some sort of question that maybe we have all wrestled with at one point or another in our lives. And that question is this. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Have you ever asked that question? Come on. You never asked that question? Okay, at least have you been asked that question, you know, by someone who, who doesn't get God and, and hasn't, and, and that's a question that, that we've wrestled with. I've wrestled with that question, and what happens is when you begin to wrestle with that question, it starts to somehow work its way in, and it begins to undermine your faith, and it begins to undermine your relationship with God. In fact, maybe you know people who they have made a decision to lose faith, or their faith has slowly started to die, or maybe your faith has slowly started to die because of some version of this question. You see something crazy happen in the world, and, and as it repeats, you know, I, I, uh, just the shootings that have happened this weekend, um, it, crazy. It's unbelievable, and, and sometimes people see that, and they go, well, if God is so good, if this is a good God, why would he allow that to happen? And there are people that I know, maybe you know, that have literally lost faith because of wrestling with this type of question. But the interesting thing about it is, is when we ask this question, and we've all probably asked this question at one point or another, but when we ask this question, uh, and let's just be honest, when we think about it, we're referring to the bad things. Why does God allow bad things to happen out there, right? Bad things out there. We're talking about in the world. We're not really ever talking about in here, right? And so let me, let me ask you kind of a follow-up question. This one I'm not asking for audience participation, so don't raise your hand. Uh, but have you ever done anything bad? Okay, don't raise your, don't start nudging people either. And don't do this. <laughs> don't do this. You know, don't do that stuff. But uh, Terry, put your hand down. Uh, now, really don't raise your hand on this one. Joy, hold Terry's hands down. Uh, but have you, now I'm going to give you the, don't raise your hand on this one. But have you ever wanted to do something really, 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 really bad? And you knew that you would get caught. And the only reason that you didn't express your badness or your evil is because you didn't want to go to prison. <laughs> and hands still go up. Some of you just don't want to go to prison, right? And, and when we think about that, we think about getting caught. We don't want to go to prison. But if we thought that we could get away with whatever it is that we were thinking, 
and not go to prison or not get caught, we would do it, right? I mean, a lot of us would. I mean, I have been, I've had those thoughts, you know. I've, I used to, and I'm way better. I promise I'm better. I know it doesn't sound like, I'm way better. But I used to have this thing, some people call it road rage. I don't know, no, 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 I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay, never mind. I was fixing to tell you a story. I'm not going to tell you the story. I'm not going to tell you that story. Because it'll be, I don't want y'all to leave my church because you just can't handle Pastor Jared's a real person or whatever. (laughs) But I have literally followed people home before, uh, trying to show them Jesus' love and stuff. No, okay, okay, okay. I'm just going to say this story. One time I was following Shelly home from church. We were, on, we were actually on Westlake Houston Parkway. She was in the vehicle in front of me. And she had my newborn baby, Peyton, in the car with her. You know what it's like? You know, the first time you have the newborn in the car, you're like pulling out real slow. And you double check everything. Well, she's got my newborn in the car. I'm behind her in my truck. And this car, wham! She, Shelly's about to pass a car in this lane. They're about to pass. And this car swerves, cuts her off. She hits the curb. I had, the, I had this Jesus moment. So I politely sped up, went around. I caught them at the light. There's like four guys in the truck. And I was telling them, Jesus loves them. And pull over. I want to talk to you about this love, this incredible love. And they wouldn't pull over. So they start apologizing through the window. They're like, we're sorry. And I was like, I was telling them nicely with a smile on my face. That lady right there is my wife. <laughs> My baby, my baby, pull over so I, we could talk Jesus. And they, they weren't pulling over. They were, they were afraid we weren't going to talk Jesus. So they kept running through a, a neighborhood some people call Walden. I don't, I don't, I don't know how anybody think about it. But uh, I kept asking them to pull over so I could share love of Jesus with them. They wouldn't pull over. Finally, Jenica, she's in the car with me. You remember this? She's in the car with me. She's like, Dad, what are you doing? And... I don't remember, it's fuzzy, I don't know, it's kind of fuzzy, but I said, I was, I was, she said, what are you going to do when you catch them? And I was like, I'm going to make sure they don't do this again to anybody else's child. Jenna goes like, dad, dad, and all of a sudden, I came to my senses, okay? I didn't, I could have caught them, I, I, I knew where they were at, and they were begging me to forgive them and all that. So at one point, I stopped the truck at a stop sign, and I looked over at Jenica, and I don't remember how old she was, but I said, do you see this look in my eyes right now? Do you see me breathing heavy and kind of starting to sweat? Just this weird thing that you've never seen before? She said, yeah, and I said, if a boy ever comes into your life. (laughs) Did I not? And I said, this look right here, this fear that you sense coming out of me, all over again. So, so, I I just said that funny story. It's not really true anymore, but I said that story to say we've had those moments where just rage happens and things happen. And then you start to try to reconcile this good God with evil and bad in the world. And we want to say the bad out in that world. Why would a good God allow bad things to happen out there? But we never bring it home. We never bring it home. So, so, so. We wrestle with that, and the interesting thing is, is people begin to wrestle with this as it relates to evil, and we don't bring it. But I want to ask you this. 
Has anybody ever made this case? Because what happens is it really messes up the whole thing. But has anybody ever made this case? How can a good God allow me to happen? Because really it's not always so much about the evil out there. I mean, we do that stuff, right? And, but we want to go, no, 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 I'm not talking about me. I'm not talking about the little stuff I do. I'm talking about the big out there. And, and maybe another version of that question is if God was so good, why would, why would he not do something about me? I mean, if this God is so great, why wouldn't he do something about me by now? No, not that. I'm not talking about I'm just talking about these. And we start to eternal, internalize these things. And we go, wait, wait, wait no, I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. And suddenly we start to just mess it up and we start changing the question because the question was about the evil out there. But when we start putting the question back here, we don't like that question because we don't want to think about us being evil. So it's just about the evil out there. And all of a sudden you're in this world of how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Right? And, and we can't cover all the bases today, but I just kind of wanted to drop that thought in there because that thought is kind of points to where we're going today. And this way of thinking ultimately leads to what is called an unfalsifiable premise, which actually makes the argument meaningless. Makes that meaningless because if you chase it down to its logical extreme, and I know that it's, this is an emotional question that we're talking about, what happens is you get to the end of that question, and what you end up with is this. I don't believe that God exists because I exist. Okay? Because why does, God, why does a good God allow bad things to happen? And we start messing with this, and we have this unfalsifiable premise. And the only way is why it's unfalsifiable. Un, unfalsifiable. The only way you could get to convince me that God is a good God is for me to lo no longer exist. And then if I no longer exist, then I can't be convinced that God is a good God, right? And so it kind of messes everything up. But again, this is all an emotional question. But I think if, if John was here, as we've been talking about the, the gospel writer, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If John was here, John would probably hear that conversation about why does God, why does this great God, this good God, allow bad things to happen. If John was here, I think he would hear us trying to reconcile this good God and evil and all that. And John would have something to say. He would say, whoa, whoa, whoa hang on just a second. I, I actually saw something that might help you with this dilemma. I saw God in a body. I watched God come down to this earth and I watched him be God in a body and he coexisted with evil men. And when I say evil men, John's probably thinking, I'm talking about you can't even imagine the evil that, that I watched God coexist with. And, and God, this God, he didn't come down and, and take the, the form of a body so that he could eliminate evil. In fact, John would probably say this, he didn't even eliminate evil in me. He, here's what he did. This God came down. And he loved me despite the evil in me. And when I began to understand that kind of love, the evil in me started to disappear. You know? So John would probably not try to tell us that evil doesn't exist. It doesn't disprove that there's a God. I mean, John spent 
so much time with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He would say, listen, I know this is a big emotional thing. I know this is a big emotional question. I'm not sure that I can actually sort it all out for you. But all I can say is that I saw God and I saw evil and they coexisted. But it's not like anything you can imagine. And I said all of that as an intro to bring us in to part number six. So I hope that you have been uh, following along with this series. This has got to be one of my favorite series that we've done. Um, and next week, you do not want to miss next week as we close it out. Oh, man. I just I wanted to, to fast forward to next week because it's so, so good. You want to be here for that. But we're, we're in a series, part six, called Seeing is Believing. Everybody say, Seeing is Believing. Seeing is believing, and we're tracking along with the gospel writer, John. Now, we've talked about this in our series, They're Irresistible. We talked about this in um, Bible 101, but John didn't write the document John uh, for the Bible, okay? He didn't write that for the Bible. He was, he was writing this document at, a, at an old, old age. A lot of people believe that he dictated this, but he was writing it to tell the story, the life of Christ. And John didn't just want to tell us what happens. He didn't write this document so that we all knew what happened. I've said this over and over and over. Pastor Kevin has said this over and over and over. John had an agenda when he wrote the book of John. And he wrote it for future generations to read. And he says, I don't want you to just know what happens. I have an agenda. I, my agenda is this. I need you to read the things that I wrote I need you to see what I saw. I need you to hear what I heard. I need, I need to tell this story in such a compelling way that you understand what I saw and that you come to the same conclusion that I came to. That's what I want you to do. I want you to arrive at the same conclusion that I arrived at, and that was this, that Jesus Christ is exactly who he claimed to be. Okay? Uh, he claimed to be the Messiah. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the living, breathing Son of God. And John, so John organizes his account, this gospel, we call it the Gospel of John, around the life of Jesus, and he organizes it around what we call, what he calls signs, okay? Now, my whole life, we just call them miracles, you know. You know the miracle where he turned water into wine? You know the miracle where he spit in mud and he healed, rubbed the mud on the guy? That miracle, and you know the miracle where he raised the, the, the man's daughter and that miracle, and he tells all these miracles? John says, listen, I, I'm not calling them miracles. I'm calling them signs. Miracles usually stand alone. But signs, they point to something. And John's saying, listen, I, I organized my gospel around signs, and I wrote very specific signs. These aren't just random acts of kindness that Jesus did, but I wrote very specific signs. He did a lot more than what I wrote down. This is what John's saying. He, I, there's not enough room for me to document everything he did. There's not enough room for me to document everything he said. So John says, I picked out very specific signs to substantiate what Jesus said about himself to prove that he was who he said he was. So this morning, we are in uh, sign number six. This is the sixth sign. Some people would call this the seventh sign, but the way we're going about it, this is number six. And uh, so real quick, I want to catch you up if you've missed anything or, or missed part of this. Uh, 
Jesus continues to make this trip. He's constantly making a trip from Galilee down to Judea, back to Galilee, to Judea, back to Galilee. And Jerusalem is in Judea. Uh, and the city of Jerusalem is there. That's where the temple is at. That's where all the most of the religious, I mean, there's religious people all throughout, but, but most of the heavy religious part, I mean, that's their Bible built, okay? And uh, so Jesus is from Galilee, and he's constantly traveling back and forth, north and south, south and north, north and south, south and north, and he's constantly going back and forth. And this particular time, uh, he was... In Jerusalem, this is the conflict we left off with last week. Remember, he was in Jerusalem, and, uh, and he healed the guy, and it became this big, big deal. So he's in Jerusalem. This is where we left off. And uh, we know that every time Jesus went to Jerusalem, he started trouble, right? Um, every time he went to Jerusalem, something happened. That's why the disciples, they didn't like going to uh, Judea. They didn't like, they didn't enjoy that because every time they went down there, something happened. Jesus would say something, he would do something, and it just caused trouble, and they always tried to kill him. And so uh, they're going back down. The disciples are nervous. They don't really want to go. Uh, they have this conversation. The last time they were there, now they're having an uh, argument with the religious leaders, and so we're going to pick up in John chapter 10 this morning, and uh, they ask they asked Jesus a question, the religious leaders, the temple leaders, they asked Jesus a question. They say, Jesus, how long, how long will you keep us in suspense? Now, you can read into that how you want. I read into that with some sarcasm, a little smart attitude there because we know now what's happened, okay? They're already mad at him because he keeps healing people. He keeps healing people on the Sabbath. Uh, he, he just healed the blind guy. He spit in his eyes and and he made mud on the Sabbath, and you can't do that. You can't mend or knead. You can't practice medicine. It's one of the categories. Uh, even though that wasn't a written law, that was the oral Torah. And so the, the religious leaders are already offended and upset with Jesus. So when we pick up this story, that's how I read this, is, Jesus, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Just say it. Come out and say it. Are you or are you not? The Messiah, just tell us plainly. And this is how Jesus responds. I did tell you. <laughs> I, I told you, but you don't believe me. I told you, but you don't. And, and I haven't just told you. I have preached it to you. I have done more than that. I've done works. And the works that I do, these miracles that, that I perform, these things that are unexplainable, he says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they actually testify about me. So, again, he's kind of reiterating what John is trying to show us, that the things that Jesus did, they weren't just little miracles or they just weren't random acts of kindness. Jesus is even saying, look, the things that I do, all these things, I, they testify about me. In other words, I didn't just tell you, I showed you. Okay? I didn't just tell you that I was the Messiah. You're asking me to say it plainly. I have said it. But not only have I not just said it, I've also showed you. I've over and over and over, I've proven to you. I've given you evidence. You won't embrace it. And they wouldn't embrace it because last week we said it, and maybe maybe they were just a little bit willfully blind, right? You know, we talked about it last week, willful blindness, uh, when, you, when you don't look 
for things that can be seen, when you don't try to discover things that can be discovered. Uh, and, and I think that's where some of the church has been for a long time. We're willfully blind. We've, we've, we've got set in our ways, and we've decided we're not going to look beyond that. So we're just going to stay right here, right here, and we're not going to change anything. We're not going to ask any questions. We're not going to look to see if anything is verifiable. Right? No, no amens there. That's okay. That's a guy ain't even mad at you. I ain't even mad at you. So Jesus decides at this point in his life and in his ministry, he decides he's going to go all in. Okay? This is a big one right here. Jesus is going to go all out. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem, and he goes just a little bit of a distance. This is, some people believe this right about, I mean, you can map it out. It's right about two miles uh, and he performs a sign. In fact, as we're going to discover, what makes this so, and this, this sign is actually kind of disturbing, okay? And when you read it the way, the, the way that John writes it out, it can be kind of disturbing. But Jesus actually manufactures a sign, a sign so that a community and, and everyone who saw what was going on, and there was a lot of people around during this sign, he wanted to make sure that nobody had any doubt whatsoever that he was who he claimed to be. And this sign was indisputable evidence that forced the hand of those that were willfully blind and just couldn't embrace it to accept the fact that Jesus was who he claimed to be. So here's what happened. John chapter 11, starting with verse number 1 says this, now a man named Lazarus, now everybody knows where I'm going, right? So if you weren't sure which sign this was, you probably know now. So there was a man named Lazarus, and he was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this is about a day uh, or a day and a half journey from Jerusalem. It's only a few miles, uh, but it's, you know, when you're walking, it takes a, about a day to get there. And now Mary and Martha, they're close friends of Jesus. They're really tight with Jesus. Lazarus is tight with Jesus. And it says that, John says this, So the sisters sent word to Jesus, and they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. So let's just lay that out for a moment. They send a messenger. This is about a day's walk, give or take. The messenger shows up to Jesus. He finds Jesus with his disciples. The messenger walks up to Jesus and he says, Jesus, my Lord, Mary and Martha wanted me to come and tell you that the one that you love is sick. Now, wouldn't you like to be that close to Jesus that they don't even say his name? You know, to have that kind of relationship with Jesus that they just walk up and they say, hey, the one that you love is sick. You know, if they came up to me, I, I would try to defend myself by saying, I love everybody. I mean, which one? Be more specific. Say his name or whatever. But what, what John is painting right here is a, he's painting a picture because he wants you to know very specifically that the relationship that Jesus had with Lazarus was a very, very special relationship. So they come up and they said, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, now if you've grown up in church and you've, you've heard, maybe you've heard this story, but it gets a little bit unusual, but it says this, when Jesus heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not, everybody say not. Okay, 
He's specific here. This sickness will not end in death, right? Yay, that's good. And if you're a believer, if you're one of the disciples and, and you're, you're hanging out with Jesus and this messenger comes up and says, hey, Mary and Martha sent me to tell you the one you love is sick. And Jesus' response is, okay, listen, this sickness won't end in death. The disciples are like, sweet, we like Lazarus. He's a good guy, man. He's a great guy. We were, that's good. I'm glad Jesus called that one. Uh, but as a matter of fact, by the time the messenger got to Jesus and the disciples, Lazarus was already dead. Dun, dun, dun. See, I, I don't know why that always plays in all my sermons. <laughs> dun, dun. Like, I'm always producing a movie in my head. So, so when, when this messenger gets there, Lazarus is already dead. And Jesus continues. He says, no, 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 no. Listen. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. <laughs> right? This guy's not going to die. This is not going to end in death. This is for God's glory. To which, if you didn't know the story and you were just hearing this or reading this for the first time, you'd go, whoa, 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 wait. Okay, so this guy is sick and sickness for God's glory. That makes a lot of sense, right? You've never thought that? You've never wondered how sickness for God, how that makes a lot of sense? Because it really sounds kind of odd and strange if you've never believed, if you've never heard that before. Jesus believed that bad things could happen to good people, and it doesn't disprove God, but somehow it underscores the existence of God because it becomes sickness for the glory of God, to which John would say, yes, yes, but we're just getting started because Jesus finishes that statement this way. He says, it, "It's no, 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 it's for the glory of God so that, okay, there's a big purpose here, okay? There's, it's for the glory of God, and there's a purpose here, and he gives us, so that God's son, who? God's son, Jesus, might be glorified. It's this sickness. It's on purpose. It's for a purpose, so that God's son, Jesus, might be glorified. In other words, this... Um, this, and this is really amazing. This sickness, this particular sickness and this evil, and maybe this is why Jesus manufactured this particular sign, but it was a sickness or a disease, this bad thing found in nature, or it was simply bad behavior of another person, or, or he's delved into the issue of nature. Why do all bad things happen in nature? Why does nature work against us? Why are there so many natural disasters? And how can we possibly believe in a good God when nature seems to be our enemy and nature just turns on us and comes against us? So this sickness that John's referring to, that John's writing about, that Lazarus has, this evil as it relates to Lazarus, was actually left unattended on purpose because Jesus had a purpose. Okay? And in this story, Jesus, for his disciples and for many of us and for many of you, he creates a brand new category. The category is sickness for the glory of God. Isn't that uncomfortable? It's kind of uncomfortable to even say. Sickness for the glory. That's a whole new category. And, and he writes this. Okay. So it, 
John knows that the readers, people that follow along with this story, they're immediately going to think, what? This doesn't make any sense. So John writes a narrative. He jumps in because he knows this is going to be confusing. So if you read this, you're thinking, sickness for the glory of God? That doesn't make any sense. And John is worried about what people might think. And so he writes this, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He wants to make sure you know. Why does he tell us this? Because at this point, it doesn't sound like maybe Jesus does, right? I mean, Jesus hears Lazarus is sick, and he says, okay, this is not going to end in death. And, and I, actually, this is all for the glory of God. The God's going to be, I mean, Jesus is going to be seen in this sickness. And, and so maybe it sounds like to those that weren't raised in church, those who didn't already know the story, that maybe Jesus didn't care. And John says, no, no, I know this is confusing, but I want you to believe me. Jesus actually really, really, really loved these people. Sometimes in life, have you ever felt that way? That maybe Jesus just doesn't care? You're going through a really ugly season, an ugly time, and you wonder if Jesus actually cares. And maybe this is why Jesus manufactured this miracle, this sign we're going to see that it was for the, not just for the benefit of the people sitting around in this circle, the Marys and the Marthas and Lazarus's friends and relatives or the Jews that came to mourn Lazarus. Maybe it was really more for you and for me. So when, the verse, verse number six, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, this used to confuse me when I was little. I always hated this this verse right here. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Two more days. Now knowing that Jesus knows everything, Jesus probably already knew that Lazarus was dead. The disciples didn't know this yet. And Jesus just hangs out two more days. He's just chilling. This this just blows your mind. And, and, and to to strangers, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, Jesus, he went up to total strangers. He saw, remember, at the pool of Bethesda, he just sees this guy, and he goes up, and he hears his story, and he ends up healing him. I mean, just total strangers. Then there's a blind guy. He sees him, meets him. He finds out his story, and he just heals this guy, total strangers. But then when he gets a message about the one that he loved, knowing that he's gone, Jesus Hangs out for two more days. Instead of jumping up, running out to go heal his friend. Then all of a sudden, after two days, it says, then he, then he said to his disciples in verse number 7, let us go back to Judea. Let us go specifically back towards Bethany. Now, immediately these guys are confused because last time they were in the area, they were trying to kill Jesus. They were wanting to stone Jesus, okay? They were picking up stones to stone Jesus. So Jesus says, so let's go back and let's go specifically through Bethany. And the disciples are like, Jesus, this is crazy. This is crazy talk. And the problem about being around somebody who's being stoned is not everybody's a good shot, Right? Not everybody is, is just a marksman. And so you hang around with people that are getting stoned. There's a good chance you're going to get hit, right? Okay? These guys, 
they weren't excited about going and hanging out with Jesus if, if people were going to start throwing rocks at him. And so they begin to step back, and, and they realize that their life is in danger, and uh, they start making these statements, and, and, and it says this, but Rabbi, they said, a, sh- a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back, okay? Jesus, the, the issue is not so much that you want to go back. We get it. That's what you do. But you want us to go back with you, okay? We, we don't want to go back with you. And, and so Jesus, he does this thing where, and I've said this a, a few times in this series, but Jesus does this thing where it seems like he just changes the subject all of a sudden. You're talking about one thing, and then he just kind of changes the subject. And so they're at this part that nobody, and I think this is what helps us realize that these are real conversations that they're having with Jesus. Because if you were writing this script, you wouldn't write it this way. So the way they write it kind of confirms that these are actual conversations that they're having. So the disciples are confused. They don't want to go back. And Jesus turns to them, and, and instead of trying to talk them into going back, he says this. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Now, I don't know exactly how the disciples reacted. I don't know what their facial expressions look like exactly. But you got to think, they just told Jesus, look, hey, remember last time we were there, they tried to kill you. They just tried to stone you. Now, you want to go back there, okay? You want to go back there. We don't understand it. And Jesus just goes, hey, aren't there 12 hours of daylight? Right? Wait, what are you talking about? You're talking about daylight? We were just talking about, we don't want to go back with you. We think maybe you should go back alone. And, And he goes on and he says, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And these guys are like, wow, that's brilliant, Jesus. Think about, think about what he just said. He did not give them any new revelation. This was no new revelation. They knew that when it's dark, you can't see, right? So this was nothing new, and they've got to be going, okay, way to change this up. We're talking about you about to be killed and die, and you're wanting us to go back with you. And then you go, how many hours are it? 12 hours of daylight? Hmm. When, when you walk around, you should walk in the light, in the daytime when it's dark you trip and you fall and the disciples they're just so confused and 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 this is the narrative that unfolds as this manufactured sign unfolds in history the point of what Jesus is saying here becomes clear the 12 hours he was talking about was the 12 hours of opportunity here's what he's saying to these guys now this is really powerful gentlemen I need you to follow the light of the world. You need to follow the light of the world while the light of the world is actually in the world. He said, I, I said this something similar to this last week when we were talking about the blind guy. But he's saying this, guys, guys, listen. You have a very unique opportunity right in front of you. You are in the physical presence of the light of the world 
And while the light of the world is in the world, you should follow, stay with the light of the world. Because when the light of the world leaves, and he's going to leave, it's going to get dark. Okay? He's basically telling them, I'm trying to show you that when I say I'm going, I'm trying to tell you, you'd be real, real smart, real wise if you would stay with the light of the world. Because when the light of the world goes places, I'm going to reveal some things and show you some things that are going to blow your mind. Okay? This, this is the point he's trying to get across to these guys. Guys, if you want to stay here, stay here. Stay here out of fear. If you want to stay here, that's fine. But you're about to miss the opportunity of a lifetime. Because I'm telling you, the light of the world is right in front of you. I think you should probably go where he goes. Do what, what he does. You're going to miss a very, very serious opportunity. And he would say to them, and maybe he would say to all of us this morning, if you refuse to follow the light of the world, you will <coughs> stumble around in darkness. Okay? You'll stumble around in a world that has no meaning uh, and perhaps no purpose, and the result you'll be looking for is not going to be there, and you're going to stumble around in darkness trying to make sense out of everything, and nothing's going to make sense. You're trying to make sense of, of a good God and evil things happening in the world. It's not going to make sense because you're going to be stumbling around in darkness trying to figure out everything, why everything is evil. You're going to be comparing God to evil, and nothing's going to make sense. Apart from the author of life, nothing makes sense. Okay? These are the, this is the picture that Jesus is trying to paint for the disciples. And I think this is the picture that he's trying to paint for you. And he's trying to say, listen, life outside of me just doesn't make sense. You're going to always be lost and stumble around. You'll never really understand. Richard Dawkins wrote this, and I think it's really accurate. He says, where there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Jesus is saying to his apostles, follow me because I'm the light of the world who came into the world to bring the light into the world and apart from the author of life life will seem meaningless so I'm just telling you stay with me stay with me otherwise you're just going to stumble around in darkness do you remember do you ever remember that part of your life when you didn't really understand God and God in your life do you remember that seasons that you went through that just seemed like you didn't you didn't have an answer for anything that life just kind of was meaningless, I remember those. It goes on, he says this in verse number 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there. He's talking about to Judea. I'm going to Judea through Bethany. And he says, to wake him up, okay? 
So he says, our friend Lazarus, y'all know Lazarus, I got the message. Well, he's falling asleep, and I'm going to wake him up. So who wants to go with me? They still didn't want to go. <laughs> they still did not want to go. They're like, okay. In fact, they start giving Jesus medical advice. They're like, you know, I mean, if, if you know, I, would, I wouldn't wake him up. You know, God, Jesus, I mean, you're go, you want to go and wake him up? I, I wouldn't even worry about it. They give him medical advice in verse number 12. It says, they say, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better, right? You know, fever, sometimes you just got to sleep to break the, you know, Jesus, just let him sleep. If, if he's asleep, I would just let him sleep. Would you let him sleep? John's like, yeah, I would probably let him sleep. Matthew, Matthew's like, oh, he definitely needs sleep, you know. That's what my mom used to do when I was sick. She made me go sleep. And they're like, yeah, I think sleep's what he needs, Jesus. Because that's what they begin to tell him, you know. Let him sleep. That's, that's what's going to make him better. But then Jesus, John tells us this because he's writing this after the fact. Jesus had been speaking of Lazarus' death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I'm just reading exactly what John wrote. However, I don't know how his voice influxed, well, I don't know what, but, but they think that he's talking about sleeping, and he goes, ah, no, 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 he's dead, okay? Guys, he's gone. He's dead. And, and to which they had to think, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just a few, a few days ago, two days ago, you said that this sickness will not end in death. And now you said, eh, he's dead. Does that, would that confuse you? Come on, that confuses me. I mean, you just, I was standing right beside you. The messenger came up and said, hey, Mary and Martha wanted me to tell you, the one that you love is, is sick. And you, you, you looked at him. You looked him dead in the windows of his face. And you said, this sickness will not end in death. I heard you say it, Jesus. I heard you say it. And then you're talking about going and wake him up. And we said, hey, just let him sleep. And you said, well, he's actually not asleep. He's dead. We're so confused. We don't understand what's going on. But listen, what comes next in this story is horrible. I mean, it is horrible. Mary and Martha and Lad, it's horrible for them. What can, comes next in the story is absolutely terrible for them, but it's wonderful for you. And it's wonderful for me, and it's wonderful for future generations. It's awful for them. And he continues, and he says, for your sake. Now, this is, this is terrible, terrible when you read it. He says, and, and nobody would put these words in Jesus' mouth, okay? I mean, the, you wouldn't just make this stuff up and just say Jesus said that if he didn't actually say that. Jesus says this, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. I mean, it's okay to chuckle, cry, whatever you want to do right now. I don't know. But this is weird. That's terrible. I mean, they, Jesus gets a message, this guy's sick. And he says, eh, it's okay, this sickness won't end in death. And now you're saying he's dead. Not only are you saying he's dead, you're saying, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, I just, I, think I have a crazy imagination. But I just think when they're looking at him, they're, they got to be going, who are you? Right? I don't even know you. 
why would you say that? I mean, when he says, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. They have to look at each other and be like, Gotta be kidding me. You're glad? I'm glad. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad he died. I'm glad he's gone. Thank God he died. And you better, you for your sake, I'm glad he's gone. I'm so glad he's dead. It just doesn't make any sense. And and, and I, I'm glad I was there. And I, I didn't go to keep them, to keep him from dying. I didn't go and I allowed his sisters to watch him die. I allowed his sisters to mourn his death. I allowed his sisters to, that probably wasn't the only messenger sent out, right? Maybe she, maybe they knew where Jesus was exactly. Maybe they sent three, four, five messengers and said, look, will you run there? I don't know if he's there. Will you go there? I'm not sure where he's at right now. Somebody go tell Jesus. And who knows? Jesus allowed all these things to happen. And then he says, and, and I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there. Who would say that? Who would put those words in his mouth for your sake? I was glad I was not there. And for your sake, this is to future generations, he's saying, and for your sake, and for the sake of every parent who's ever buried a child, and for the sake of every husband who's ever buried a wife. And for the sake of every child who's ever buried a parent too early. And for the sake of every friend who's buried a friend or a friend who's buried the child of a friend. For all of us, Jesus manufactured a sign. And he says, so that on the other side of this moment where Jesus is actually at, this is why maybe it's so disturbing but Jesus creates a brand new category for them. For us, this is new to us. It's brand new to the world. Again, the light of the world has come to shed light on the dilemmas of mankind. On the dilemmas, the things that we've wrestled with for thousands and thousands of years. How do I reconcile the idea of a good God in an evil world? How do I reconcile the idea of a good God in a world that doesn't cooperate seemingly with God? Jesus says this. John writes, verse number 14, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. And then he gives us why he said that. So that you will believe. Listen. I'm glad I wasn't there because it's so important. He's saying this even to you and future generations because this was a picture John was trying to paint. Jesus saying, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you could believe because I'm about to blow your mind. I'm about to blow your mind. And then he says, but let us go to him. Then one of the more humorous parts of the New Testament uh, to me, basically, because they still don't want to go. You remember, the disciples do not want to go with him. So Thomas speaks up, and then Thomas says this to the rest of the disciples. Well, let's just go with him so that we can die. I don't know how you read it. That's exactly how I read it, okay? So Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake so that you may believe. So let's go. The disciples start getting up, grabbing their bags, their man purses or whatever, and, and they start walking. And Thomas goes, all right, well, let's all go with him so that we can die. 
okay? That's what's going to happen. We're going to go and we're going to die. I don't know what's more embarrassing, guys. The fact that we're going to get there and he's already dead and now we got to face Mary and Martha or the fact that we're going to get too close to where we know everybody's got rocks and they're just going to stone him because they're looking for him. But let's just go. Let's go die. Okay? Let's go. I'll follow you. <laughs> Translated, Lazarus is dead. Jesus is about to die. And now we will also die with him. So meanwhile, back in Bethany, you got to know what that conversation's like, right? So all this is happening. Now back in Bethany, where Lazarus is at, can you imagine what that conversation is like? Okay? Mary and Martha are there with their brother. He dies. He actually dies while the messenger is on his way to Jesus. Now this guy, Lazarus, is dead. And they say, well, we need to embalm him. We need to wrap him. We need to do all the things. We need to put all the, the spices on him and all the things that they did for the burial ceremony. And, and Mary and Martha said, well, just wait. Just wait. Just wait one day. You know, Jesus has got to be coming. And then two days. And then by the third day, I mean, things are just, you know, not to get too graphic, but can you imagine three days? I mean, so at this point, they say, Jesus isn't coming, I guess. He's just not coming. Wow. And so they go ahead, and Jesus misses the, the bombing of Lazarus. He misses the wrapping him up, and he misses the tombing him. He misses the funeral, everything. Jesus misses it all. The disciples are thinking, man, I don't know what we fear most, facing Mary and Martha or facing the, the crowd with the rocks. But then John goes on, he writes, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus finally shows up, and Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Just to give you like a little time uh, period of what's going on. So we don't know exactly how long they kept him out of the tomb. We know that by the time the messenger got to Jesus that he was already dead. But we don't know how long he was out of the tomb. But whatever has happened, we now know he's been in the tomb for four days. When Mary, when, I mean, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus. Now, she, again, what she says is so honest. And it's something that you and I have probably said. It's things that we've thought. It's things that we've expressed. And in this moment, she was so honest and genuine. And if you've ever been afraid to say that, she's giving us permission in this moment. Because this is somebody who's so close to Jesus. So close to Jesus. And she feels this way. And she says in that moment, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever felt like that? She's basically saying, this is partially your fault, right? If you would have been here, he wouldn't be dead, Jesus. Have you ever felt like that? Come on, let's be honest. Have you ever felt like you, something happens, a, a catastrophe in your life, and you go, well, Jesus, if you would have done something about that, if you would have answered my prayer when I prayed it, that wouldn't have happened. 
and, and she's frustrated and, and she's trying to figure out what's going on. Bad things happen to good people and, and close people to Jesus all the time. And in this case, Jesus actually manufactured this sign for your sake and for my sake. But she, she's like... She's like us in a way. She's trying to cling to her faith. She's angry. She's mad at Jesus. She's trying to hold on. Uh, she's telling Jesus, if you would have just been here, he, he wouldn't have died. But I know you're late. And even though I'm mad at you, even though I'm angry with you, she goes on and she says this. But I know that even now, God, God will give you whatever you ask for. Even though I'm angry, even though I'm confused and it doesn't make sense, I'm still trying to hold on to faith. I'm still trying to hang on to something, Jesus. Jesus probably smiles when he says this. He looks at her, and Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Ooh, that's great news, right? Right? Have you ever been in a situation where something bad is happening in your life, and then all of a sudden, somebody wants to start preaching at you? No? <laughs> Man, that's one of my pet peeves. I just... It's really tough to take it when, when you're going through something really bad and, and well-intending people are like, yeah, well, hey, just don't fret it, man. The Bible says whatever. And they're like, well, just remember, hey, well, I'm praying for you or, or time will heal wounds or you're, it's going to get better. Hey, one day you're going to come out of this and look back and you're like, yeah, I'm going to look back at the black eye I gave you. and You know, you just, you just, and so she probably feels like Jesus is kind of doing that. He's getting a little preachy. Okay, he's getting a little, he switched into preacher mode with her. And he says, hey, your brother's going to rise again. He's going to, he's going to rise again. And, and she's confused and she's, I, I know, I know, I, I don't need anybody to preach at me right now. I don't need anybody to mess with my theology. I don't want to listen to a sermon right now. Don't send me this awesome sermon series that's going to help me go through what I'm going through. I know, blah, 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 blah. I don't care what the Bible teaches me or whatever. I'm just in crisis mode and I, I just want somebody to leave me alone. I know, I know, I know that he's going to live again. And she says this, Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection of the last day. I've gone to seminary, okay, I went to the synagogue, I've learned all that. I know that one day he's going to live again. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, we're going to be with our loved ones, yada, yada, yada. But I just don't need preach right now, okay. I'm going through some stuff. I'm not concerned with the last days right now. I'm thinking about today. And all I know, Jesus, is you're late. You're late, and had you been here, I think that he would still be alive. And what comes next? Man, this is breathtaking. And, and we miss it often because we're not there. We miss it because very few of us could actually feel and understand this emotion and frustration that Mary and Martha felt in that moment. But Jesus looks at her, and he's probably trying to get her attention. Maybe he grabbed her by the face. I don't know. But he's saying, look at me. Look at me. I want you to understand. I'm not trying to correct your theology. I'm asking you to put your trust in me. I'm not asking you to put your trust in what you've always been taught about life and about death and about the afterlife. So look at me. Look at me, Martha. And he says this. I am the resurrection and the life. I am you know, you're saying, I know he's going to raise one day. I'm telling you, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. This isn't just a normal category. Jesus says, you're looking for resurrection. I am the resurrection personified. 
That's who I am, okay? Now, what you think about me is the most important thoughts you'll ever have, ever. And so, Martha, I need you to understand, when you think about me, you need to recognize I am the resurrection and I am the life, okay? I'm telling you, I'm telling you that I, I am who I say I am. I bring light to hopeless situations. I'm telling you, nobody would put those words in Jesus' mouth, right? Right? He goes on, he says this, for generations and, and for you and for me, he says, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. The actual Greek phrase there that he uses is whoever places their trust in me. Not simply believes, but if you place your trust in me, okay? If you, if you see these signs that I performed and begin to believe these signs, once you put your trust in me, you will live even though you die. It's a little bit of a tongue twister there, okay? Whoever lives by believing me will never die. There's no way uh, she could have taken this all in. This has got to be confusing, right? He says, Lazarus wouldn't die, and then Lazarus died. But Jesus is saying, you won't die. You're going to live. This is so confusing. So confusing. Jesus could not be any more clear in this moment that death was simply a doorway. Death was simply a transition. And he looks at her and maybe he smiles. Maybe he sees the pain and confusion. As I was working on this this week, I really just sat there and just tried to think all this through and put myself in his situation. And this is where the real world meets theology, okay? Jesus is now God in a bod. He's now God in a body. And he's standing there. He sees the pain and the confusion. He sees what she's going through. I mean, he has a relate. He's eaten in their home. I mean, they have supported him financially. And he looks at her and he says this, do you, do you believe this? I mean, do you believe what I'm saying? I know it's hard for you to believe and but do you understand what I'm saying? She musters up as much faith as she can in that moment, and she says, yes. Yes, Lord. I do. I don't understand it. I don't understand how this all comes together. I don't know everything, and I don't have to know everything. I said it last week, to believe in something. She goes into her default mode, and she says, but this one thing that I'm certain of, I'm not sure what's going to happen down the road. I'm not sure what's going to happen with this whole situation. But she says this. Man, this is powerful. This is so powerful. She says, I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She's in the, the worst moment of her life. She's just watched her brother die, and she looks at Jesus. She says, I don't know what all I believe, and I don't know what's all happening. I'm so confused. But I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, in this mystical, marvelous way that you're the light of the world that's come into this world. Martha goes back to her house. She tells Mary. Mary comes out. 
on the edge of town meets Jesus. They basically have the same conversation. And then John, John, he gives us all this detail because it's happening in slow motion. John says that when he saw her weeping, he's talking about Jesus. When he saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping because they all went out to go see Jesus. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, they said. So Jesus has this really tender moment where humanity, his divinity meets humanity. And he has this moment and maybe, you know, we know that Jesus manufactured this miracle. But this is a really extraordinary moment. Jesus arrives outside the tomb and he pauses and this emotion this deep empathy, empathy, and you know, Peter's there, okay, so think about this. This is cool if you think about it. So the disciples are there. Now, we know Peter later on, in the, we have it in the New Testament. He writes several letters in the New Testament, and in his letters, there's several times recorded where Peter says this, cast your cares on Christ. Peter says this, right? Now, this is not proven. This is just me guessing here. But I wonder if this is why Peter writes those things. Think about it just for a second. Jesus gets to the edge of the tomb, and he stands there, and he pauses for a second. I don't know exactly who divided our Bible up in chapter and verse and all that, but somebody went and they put chapters in our Bible so that's easy for us to reference, easy for us to find. But they put a specific verse together that I think was just brilliant. I'm so glad they gave it its own verse. But Jesus is standing at the tomb, and Peter's watching this happen. And the, John writes this. Peter has wrote a few times in the, in the scripture. He says, cast your cares on Christ because he cares for you. Maybe he wrote it because he knows in this moment. He was watching Jesus. Everybody's watching Jesus. Nobody knew what was fixing to happen. And he goes up to the tomb and he stands there. And John writes, Jesus wept. He's God. You know, when I think about this, I think he's God. He knew what he was fixing to do. He knew what he was fixing to do, right? So why did he go up to the tomb? And why did he begin to cry? I think it's because Jesus was a man. And in that moment, he thought about the pain that Mary and Martha had gone through. He was probably thinking about all the good times that he's had with Lazarus. He was just thinking about the hurt and the pain. And Peter, from a distance, is probably watching this. And that's why later on, Peter says, man, I can tell you with confidence, cast your cares on Christ. Because I can promise you without any shadow of a doubt, that guy, he cares for you. I watched him one day stand at the tomb, and I watched him weep. 
Because John eleven thirty five says, Jesus wept. And the Jews who had come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha, they said to Jesus, they said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man had kept this guy from dying? You know, Jesus went and opened the eyes of a blind guy, and, and yet he couldn't keep this guy from dying, huh? So maybe he's not quite all that he's cracked up to be. If he could have, he would have, but since he didn't, maybe he can't. Maybe that's the problem. And so, again, they're trying, these Jews are trying to disprove who Jesus is. But he chose to not keep him from dying. For your sake and for mine is what John writes. And if you've been paying attention, don't miss this. This is just brilliant. This is the brilliance of Jesus in this painful, painful moment. Jesus condenses all eternity into the span of an afternoon. He takes all eternity and he condenses it into the span of one single afternoon. The pain, the disappointment, the fear, the anger, the unanswered prayers, the faith anyway, despite the tears. Then finally, the resolution. Your entire life experience condenses it down into one afternoon so that future generations will live with hope. John continues, he says this. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and then he shocked everybody with this. He says, take the stone away. They started looking around. I imagine this is what happened. I imagine everybody took one step back. When he says, open the tomb. (laughs) Mourners fell silent. Mary and Martha probably gasped. But Lord, said Martha, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been dead for four days. We can see you're late. You're so late, Jesus, had you been here on time. Then Jesus says this. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He probably turns to his disciples and he's saying, didn't I tell you that I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake? Remember? I told you. I was getting you ready for this moment. So Mary and Martha, they give the men their permission to move the stone. Everybody, everybody probably steps back. So they remove the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he prays one of my favorite prayers in the New Testament. And before I read what he, what he says, I'm going to just tell you. His prayer was something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I, you know what's going on. I know what's going on. You and I, we're on the same page. We have always been on the same page. But I'm going to pray this prayer in front of everybody so everybody can hear me. Because they need to know you and I are on the same page. And he looks up and he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this 
In other words, I'm, I'm praying this out loud for the benefit of the people standing here and the benefit of future generations that are going to read this document because I know it's going to be written down that they might believe that you sent me. See, the most, the most important question to wrestle to the ground is not the question of good and evil and God and evil. The most important question to wrestle to the ground is who is Jesus? That's been the whole point of this entire series. Who is Jesus? And John is trying to show us exactly who Jesus is. Because if Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be, then all of those things get reconciled and explained in Jesus. And he finishes up his prayer. And when he had finished, he said this. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. John dictates this to us. John is an old man remembering this, thinking about, I'll never, ever, ever forget that day as long as I live as long as I live I can't believe what I saw next but I saw a dead man I'm telling you I'm telling you the dead man came out his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and there's a cloth around his face I watched him come out it wasn't a trick this guy was still I mean this dead man came walking out of the tomb. I saw it with my own eyes. Everybody probably takes another step back. I would imagine people literally fainted. Then Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Everybody finally woke up, came to their senses. They run over to Lazarus. They start taking off the grave clothes. He's alive. He's alive. And then there's a statement that John doesn't need to make, but he makes anyway. He says this, therefore, and this is kind of a duh moment, right? He says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to visit Mary and Martha, and these are the people who are trying to prove that Jesus is not who he says he is. Jesus is not the Messiah. <laughs> the Jews that were there that come to visit Mary and Martha had seen what Jesus did, and they believed in him. <laughs> <laughs> right? You don't unsee what they just saw. They believed in him. Many who had come. This is John's formula. The title of this series is Seeing is Believing. John is saying, everybody who saw, many who saw this, they believed. They saw it and then they believed. They saw it and they believed. And John's saying, I'm not asking you to have faith in faith or have belief in belief. I'm not asking you to just go with whatever. But I'm telling you that I wrote some very specific things down that I saw with my own eyes. And I'm writing it in such a way to prove to you that I saw it. Because I want you to come to the same conclusion that I came to. I've said this several times, but Jesus says at the end, and we'll talk about this next week a little bit. Jesus says at the end of John, he tells his disciples, hey, blessed are you who saw what I did and you believed. But really, way blessed are those who they haven't seen all the stuff you got to see and they still believe. John is saying, I'm writing this down because you didn't get to see it. I'm sorry you didn't get to see it. I wish you could have seen it. But I'm trying to convince you 
Jesus was absolutely who he said he was because of what they saw. Seeing led to believing, which led to trusting. So I'm going to skip down real fast for the sake of time. Here's what. They end up getting really mad. The religious people, the religious leaders, they're mad at Jesus. I mean, rumor starts going. I mean, talk starts spreading like crazy. And they have a secret meeting, and this gets, eventually later it gets leaked to John. And in this meeting, they say this. Verse number 48, chapter 11, John. They said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they'll take away our temple and they'll take away our nation. If we let him go on like this, what an arrogant statement. If we let him keep doing this kind of stuff, and I'm sure John probably chuckled as as he's dictating this and they're writing it down because he's thinking nobody puts Jesus in a corner, right? Right? Nobody does that. Jesus does what Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. I do what I do on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. Everything that I've done is for a reason. All the signs that I've performed, they testify of who I am. They testify of who I am. If we, if we let him go on like this, everyone will start believing in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple. Man, they were right. Everybody did start believing. Little did they know, this little area of the world at that time, people started believing. They were right. If he continues on doing what he's doing, people are going to start believing. If they only knew 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, over one-third of the world's population believes that Jesus is who he said he was. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful that Jesus is who he said he was? The light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. See, not everybody wants the light. But John would say this. I just want you to get this one thing in your head. For God so loved the world. John writes this down. God so loved evil people. God so loved the evil world. That he gave himself, he gave his only son so that no one, no one from that point on could ever be lost to God. That's a powerful, powerful statement. John finishes and he says, these things that I've written, I wrote them down so that you'll believe if you're a Jew so that you'll believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And if you're not a Jew, so that you'll believe, in fact, that Jesus is the unique Son of God. And that when you when you choose to believe that, when you get it in your mind and you put your trust in Jesus, you will have life in His name. Incredible life in His name. 
So those of you that have ever been on the verge of losing your faith because of, of evil in the world or because you can't reconcile the fact that a good God could allow this to happen, you've got to understand what John's showing us. John is painting a perfect picture that God didn't come to just wipe evil off the planet. God came to give love and to give people a hope in the midst of all the chaos. And when we understand the love that he has for us, that evil begins to dissipate out of our hearts. You begin to look at people different. I'm going to close with this. Shelly and I were at a restaurant a few weeks ago, and this waitress was terrible. She was awful. She wasn't our waitress. She was another waitress, and she did something, and Shelly saw her do it. And, and uh, we... We just sit there and blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, she comes up to our table, and she just goes off on my wife. She's like, so did you see whatever I did, blah, blah, blah? And she's like, yeah, because they made eye contact. And she goes, well, yeah, so you have a problem with it? And we're at a restaurant. I'm not going to say what restaurant. <laughs> and she says, so do you have a problem with it? And Shelly's like, I mean, it was kind of weird, but I mean. I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, well, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Well, you went and told my manager. And, she, and I, so I got involved. And I was like, listen, nobody told your manager anything. I don't even know who your manager is. Nobody's come to our table and asked us anything. And we haven't got up from the table. We didn't go tell nobody. Blah, 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 blah. So she leaves. And then our waitress comes back to the table. And our waitress goes, what was that about? We tell her what was going on. She goes, oh, I'm the one who told the manager. Because I saw it, and that's not appropriate. And we were like, well, she thinks that we, she, we told. So she walks off. Well, the more my wife thinks about this, the more it starts stirring up in her. <laughs> she starts going, you know, that was so rude. I can't believe she did it. And she just starts kind of getting riled up a little bit. And I had this moment, because usually, you know, in the past, I've been known to get riled up about things like that. And I said, babe, Let's think about it this way. Let's just think. What if her husband just left her? Or what if she's got to go downtown to the hospital today to visit her son and he's got a terminal disease? Because she told us at the table, she's like, I've had a terrible day. It's been awful. And I said, what if this and what if that? So we don't know. I said, but maybe, what if we just looked at her and just loved her, and we just let her have that one? We just gave it to her. We just take one for the team. Shelly's like, you know what, you're right. Our waitress came over there, and our waitress goes, I'm going to go tell the manager to come talk to y'all, because y'all need to tell the manager what she did. And And Shelly goes, no, we don't care. I mean, it's not important. We don't care. We just let it go. And the reason I tell you that story is to just say, you know, sometimes we don't know what people are going through, what life is is handing them, what they're dealing with. But all I know is that God loved them so much. And I think my job as a believer is to replicate exactly what he did, to do what he did. Amen? Will you stand with me for just a minute? I just want to close in prayer this morning.
going to wrap this up. I just want to pray over you. Father, I ask right now, Jesus, Lord, that in this moment, God, that, that we're not trying to figure out why bad things happen or, or why this did this happened or whatever. But, God, I, I want to understand that everything has purpose in it. God, that, that you do things on purpose. And when you see a situation that we can't understand, that we can't fathom, God, I just want to put my trust in you that, that you'll step into that situation and you are going to let your glory shine in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of frustration. God, that you're going to let something powerful, powerful happen. So God, I pray right now for those that are in this room, those that are watching online. God, I pray for strength. I pray for the ability to look beyond the, the surface and to go deeper and to see that you have purpose. And maybe that purpose is that, that so that someone might believe so that somebody might see my reaction to what you to what has happened my reaction to catastrophe or chaos my reaction to evil in the world and when they see my reaction that they might believe so God I just pray for everyone in this room God that that we will come to those conclusions that we might believe that you are without a doubt, exactly who you said you were. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. If you believe that, say a big amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise this morning.